Bibles and go to Matthew 18, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. And this is part of the sermon series, Holiness and Salvation. Soon after Lily and I got married, we got to watch a Korean documentary called Mother Shock. This documentary series was about what it truly means to be a mother and how to have a good mother-child relationship. A few years later, the same company that produced this series produced another series called Father Shock. And it was about uh, what it means to be a father and how to have a good father and child relationship. And I still remember the discussions Lily and I had after watching those series. And they were very helpful for us to look ahead what our parenthood would be like. And as watching the documentary series, one insightful observation really stood out to me. So many parents hurt their children as they grow, and the hurts and scars caused by their parents never heal in their entire lives. And interestingly and unfortunately, so many of these children, when they grow up and even become parents themselves, also hurt their own children just like their, their parents did to them. So they, there was a lady in Mother Shock series who really hated her mom's indifference toward her. And so, so she, she longed for her mom's caring affection, but all she received from her mom was heartless apathy, which left a deep scar in her heart. Yet after she had her own children, she was shocked by the fact that she was treating her children in the same way her mom treated her. So it's Mother Shock. A man was featured in Father Shock series who had a dad who was abusive verbally and physically. Growing up, he swore to himself over and over again that he would never be like his dad to his children. But when he had his own children, he realized that he wasn't that different from his abusive dad in his interaction with his own kids. The people in the documentary series really wanted to break this vicious cycle, but they couldn't. The people who repeated what their parents failed shared one thing in common. They all still hated their parents and couldn't forgive them. They were all shackled by their past. So they couldn't get past their past with their parents, and even ever, ever after, even after they all grew up and have their own children. What do you think they needed to be set free from the chain of their past? Of course, they needed to learn to forgive their children. I'm sorry, they're not their children, their parents, and live their lives in the present. Further, I want to point out another aspect of the unforgiving heart toward our parents. As a parent, you might not repeat what your mom and dad failed, just like the people in the documentary series. But if the reason you don't repeat them is only because you hate your parents so much and you want to do exactly the opposite of what your parents did, then you still have an unforgiving heart toward 
your parents. The reason you need to become a good parent should never be conditioned by the fact that your parents were bad parents. Rather, we all need to become a good parent to our children because we love God and love our children regardless of our past experiences. So as thinking about these people who can't forgive their parents, we have to ask ourselves if we are really forgiving people as Christians. As believers, we all say that God has forgiven our sins. Also, we all know that we need to forgive others, right? But do we really forgive those who have hurt us deeply? We have to ask that question tonight. So Christians say they are forgiven, but at the same time, so many of them don't forgive others who have hurt them. If any one of us is struggling with forgiving our parents, our spouse, our children, our siblings, or even our church members, we should pay attention to Jesus' parable in tonight's text. So Matthew 8, 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. And the master of the servant was moved with compassion released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. And he would not, and but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after had, he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you backed me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So tonight's message's main point is this. We must forgive the sins of others limitlessly because God has already forgiven us limitlessly. So today's text begins with Peter's question to his teacher, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? You can see, almost see the green, <laughs> the green in his, his smile, in his face, Peter's face. When asking this question, Peter was probably thinking that forgiving others seven times would be more than enough. But to his shock, the Lord answers, Verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. The expression 70 times seven can be understood in either way. One, uh, 77 times or 
790 times. The number seven in the Bible symbolizes fullness and completeness. So we don't need to understand this number literally, meaning that we shouldn't count until the 77th time or 490th time before we get angry at the people who have hurt us. In other words, the repeated sevens emphasize the fact that we must forgive others fully and limitlessly. In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says that love thinks no evil. This phrase can also be translated as love does not keep a record of wrongs. And actually, Holman Christian Standard Bible translated that way. So following the Lord's teaching, Paul also teaches that we must forgive others fully and limitlessly. So don't write down, jot down what people have done wrong to you. Then why should we forgive others with full and unlimited forgiveness? Is it because we are good people? Of course not. Is it because the people who have hurt us are worthy people? Of course not. It is because of the merciful God who has forgiven us fully and limitlessly. So I want to submit to you the first point of tonight's message. First, we owe a tremendous sin debt to God. Verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The king in the parable, of course, refers to God. And just like the servant owed a lot of money to his king, we owe a lot of sin debt to God. So Romans 6.23 says what? For the wages of sin is death. So how much then did the servant owe to his king? 10,000 talents. Now, how much is 10,000 talents? One talent is 6,000 denarii. And one denarii is one day work wage. So for you to earn one talent, you have to work 6,000 days. That's quite long. If you work without rest, you can earn it in 16 years. But it was a Jewish person, right? So he had to rest on Sabbaths. So then it would have taken him for 19 years to earn one talent. But did he owe one talent to his king? It was 10,000 talents, which is 60 million denarii. And it's going to take 200,000 years with the Sabbath rest for him to pay back what he, what he owed to his king. If a person could work 50 years with the good health, it would take 4,000 lives to earn 10,000 talents. The reason we don't have to be too literal in understanding the amount of the servant's debt to the king is that the Koine Greek, in Koine Greek, the, the number 10,000 was the largest number that it can be described in one word. So we know the expression 10,000 times than 10,000 and thousands of thousands in Revelation 5.11. You know, John is describing the, the number, the big number of hosts of heaven, angels, 
to the, you, he used this expression to describe that, which means he, he's not literally saying it's really the number is exactly this, but what he meant was it was a lot. He couldn't even count. It was like a sand in the ocean. So it was a lot. So we have, don't have to be too literal about 10,000 talents here. It just means it was a lot. And nobody could pay for this much death on his own power. What the Lord wants us to do is not to be bogged down with the exact amount of the debt. But we have to remember, we cannot pay back our sin debt because it is incredibly tremendous. Of course, this imagery effectively illustrates that uh, we cannot pay back what we owe to God. So many people in the world do not grasp how many sins they have committed against God. But what's sad is, even many Christians do not fully grasp what they have done to their king. Especially young people, if you grew up in the church, you might feel like this. I mean, I've never done these things and those things, and I've done these things and those things. I know I'm a sinner, but am I that a big sinner? Then here's my answer for you. Um, do you know, actually Pastor mentioned it this morning, there's a sin of commission which means you break the law of God. And there's also a sin of omission, which means you don't do anything yet, you are still sinning against God. Why? James 4, 17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. What I can tell you is this, you don't do anything just watching TV or flipping through your social media or you're just texting. And now you may think I'm not sinning, but in God's sight, it can be sinning. Why? You can use that time in a more wise way, in a God-glorifying way, right? So we can commit millions of sins even when we don't do anything. Can you fathom? I mean, upon the fact that we have broken so many laws <laughs> in the Bible, we have done those things. And furthermore, we are the kind of beings who can commit sins when we do good. Did you know that when we do good things, we can commit sins? Why? Because God doesn't only see what we do in actions, but he also sees our hearts when we do actions. So in Matthew 6, the Lord Jesus said, don't do good things to be seen by people. You can donate a lot of money. You can pray really earnestly and in a holy way, and that you can fast on, about you, you, to die. But if you're doing all these good things to be seen by people, the Lord said, you are disgusting. You're committing a sin of hypocrisy. So dear people, please don't serve the church because you want to be seen by your pastor or seen by your deacons or seen by other brothers and sisters because it becomes a sin to God when we do good things out of bad motivation. Let's go one step further. Do you know that worshiping God can be sinful? Of course, to worship, to worship God, that's a good thing. But Isaiah 1, 10, let's go with Isaiah. Isaiah 1, chapter 1, verse 10. Here the Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel. Hear the word of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom. What? He's speaking to Israel, but he calls them Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God. 
you people of Gomorrah, now the nation of Israel being called by God, Sodom and Gomorrah, to what purpose is the multitude of your, of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fat cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls of, or of lambs or goats. He's talking about our offerings to the Lord. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand? To trample my courts? It means you're just coming to church and going back home. You didn't do anything. Bring no more futile, futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me, which means it makes him want to puke. And the new moons and Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed face, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. What? I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. The reason we shouldn't feel safe just because we come to church on Sunday, just because we join with the Wednesday night fellowship, just because we read the Bible in the morning, we pray, is because if we don't fear God from our heart and do these things, to God they can become a balmy nation, which means it's disgusting, it's yucky to God's eyes. So what do you think then is the greatest sin a Christian can commit. Murder, sexual sin, suicide. While they are so bad, I believe we commit the greatest sin when we break the greatest commandment in the Bible. I may be wrong, but this is my, my personal opinion. What is the greatest command in the Bible? Love your Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But how many of us are serious about this command? We know we can't be perfect, but do we even grieve over the fact that we are not loving God today with our whole being? Have we ever, do we even ever confess to God, Lord, I'm not loving you as I ought. Would you please help me to love you with my whole essence, whole being? Do we even do that? If we don't even think about that, then I think we are committing a very grievous sin in the sight of God. So now, children or young people who grew up in the church, do you see why we are still a very great sinner in front of God's eyes? We, we have sinned against God in a tremendous way. So my point is not... Um, that uh, you should feel bad and to the point of discouragement and depression. But for you to be hopeful and be happy, you first need to understand how sinful you are before God. But despite the terrible state of our sinfulness, what's amazing about God is that he is a merciful king who forgives our sins freely. So let's look at the brighter side. The point number two of tonight's net message is this. God has freely forgiven the tremendous sin death we owe to him. Verse 26, uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew uh, 18, verse uh, 26. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, 
have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. In the parable, when the servant begged for mercy, the king was moved with compassion and astonishingly forgave him the tremendous debt. This illustrates the fact that God forgives sinners by grace apart from works. So whoever comes to God by placing faith in Jesus will be forgiven and receive the free gift of salvation. The kind of teaching, uh, this kind of teaching must have sounded odd to the many ears of the Jewish audience. Why? In the early 2nd century BC, there was a famous rabbi named Akiva who also used the imagery of death to talk about a person's sins that demand God's just punishment. You can find this information in the Remedy book, Porke uh, Avot, which means the ethics of our fathers. And here, while Jesus Akiva and Akiva used the same death imagery to talk about the sin problem, their conclusions were totally different. The Jewish rabbi argued that judgment is in accordance with the abundance of deeds, meaning that a person can compensate for sinful deeds by performing good deeds. But the Lord Jesus entertained no such idea. According to his teaching, no one can get himself out of his sin death by his own power. Why? Because the sin death is amazingly, incredibly great. The truth, the truth is, is what makes Christianity distinct from all other religions. And actually, if you read the Quran, the Quran also talks about a similar idea that is that's very similar to the Jewish idea. And the Quran says, at the end of the world, the judgment will come, and then Allah will weigh your good deeds versus bad deeds. And if there are more good deeds, you will be saved. But if you have more bad deeds, you will be damned. That's also the Quran's teaching as well. And many other religions think like that and teach like that. But unlike these religions, true Christianity presents the God who has compassion on sinners and forgives them by grace apart from works. So if there's anyone who's trying to receive the forgiveness of sin by doing good, that person must stop right there because our effort will never be able to pay back what we owe to God. All we need from God for the forgiveness of sin is his mercy, his compassion, and his grace. Then as the recipient of this amazing forgiveness, how should the forgiven servant in the parable do in his life? It is amazing what he did right after he was released from the prison. Let's go to verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were all grieved, very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. So by his bad example, wrong example, we have to learn the third point of tonight's message. Having our tremendous sin death forgiven, we must forgive the small sin death of others. In other words, when we don't forgive the lesser sins of others after receiving the forgiveness of our greater sins, we behave, the, the, behave like this ungrateful servant 
dead. How did the king treat this ungrateful servant? Verse 32, Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgive you all that debt because you backed me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant? Just as I, I, I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So the king put him back in prison and made him tortured until he pays back all that was due to him, which means he would never be out of the prison. It means he wasn't a forgiven person anymore in terms of his death. And the Lord concludes the parable in verse 35. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart doesn't forgive his brother his trespasses. What does the Lord mean here? Does he mean that after we're saved and we don't forgive other people, somehow we become unsaved again? I don't think so. What the Lord means is this. The people who say their, their tremendous sins are forgiven and yet at the same time cannot and will not forgive the lesser sins of others must have never been forgiven in the first place. That is his point. What, what was the first thing the servant did after he was released from the prison? As soon as he was released from the prison, he didn't even thank God, thank God or thank the king. He wasn't even celebrating the great forgiveness with his, para, with his family or his friends. The very first thing, the thing that he was thinking while he was being tortured in prison was what? He was thinking about the 100 denarii <laughs> that someone owed him. And as soon as he was released, experienced the great forgiveness, all he wanted to do was take back that 100 Denarii, which is about 100 day wage, uh, day, days works, work, work wages. Let me emphasize. Uh, so, so, so let, me, let me ask you this question. Do you think this person really understood what it meant for him to receive grace? I don't think so. He didn't fully understand what just happened. This is a person who has a heart who has no grace, no mercy. And that's why he's not, he's acting like a merciless person to his fellow servant. So let me emphasize it again. Today's parable is not about losing salvation. Rather, it is about the fact that those who have received God's amazing grace of the forgiveness of sin can and will forgive others who have hurt them. And I'm not trying to say that believers will automatically forgive others in a short, like a snap like this. That's not my point. And even when it becomes really hard to forgive others who have hurt us, we will constantly bring ourselves to this gospel message again, right? We have to think back what happened to us before God. God forgave me this much sin. And why should I not forgive that person who has sinned against me just a little bit comparing to what I have done to the Lord. As we meditate on that truth, we will be energized by the Holy Spirit and we will to, to be able to forgive those who have hurt us. But if any one of us here in this room or ones listening online cannot and will not, even has no desire to forgive other people who have hurt us, then I have a serious, you have to seriously doubt where you are 
spiritually. At least you must acknowledge that I have to forgive. And you have to deal with it before God that there's something wrong with my heart. Because you have done this grace, this much grace to me, but why should I not do this small grace to other people? So many Christian denominations memorize the Lord's Prayer, or it's a rather a better title, is the Model Prayer of our Lord as part of the Sunday worship service. And some of you might be really familiar uh, with this uh, passage. But let's go to Matthew 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, you'll find there the Lord's Prayer. But did you know that uh, in the middle of this prayer, the model prayer, there's a concept of forgiveness that is so vital to our relationship to God. Matthew 6, 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us that this daily, day our daily bread. And 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So does verse, 20, verse 12 say that we should ask God to have the strength to forgive the sins of others? That's not the point that Jesus is making here. It simply states that we who are forgiven by God are forgiving others. He just says, as we forgive others. It's a given statement. It's a given condition. If you are believers, if you are the children of God, you will forgive just like as living creatures, we breathe. As the forgiven sinners, we forgive. If I don't breathe, you need to dial 911. Hey, Pastor Joe is dying tonight from the Pope. He's not breathing. There's something wrong with him, right? But if you see a person who says, I'm a Christian, but I will never forgive my parents who have hurt me. I will never forgive my friends who have laughed at me. I've, I will never forgive my pastor who has hurt me me so deeply, then this person shouldn't think that he or she is a believer according to our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord said after uh, this passage, verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So again, the fact that we forgive others indicate that we belong to God. But the fact that if we don't, the fact we don't, don't forgive other people indicates we don't belong to God. Remember this. We are not forgiving others because we are good or noble people. That's not my point. We are not forgiving others because the people who have wronged us are somehow worthy of our forgiveness. That's not the point either. Rather, we forgive them because and only because God has already forgiven us when we didn't deserve why did he then forgive us? It's all because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. So Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ, or because of Christ, forgave you. Paul says, in Colossians 3, 12 and 13, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. Why? If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The reason we forgive others who have hurt us, it may be really great hurt. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to underestimate the pain you have. 
or the wound you have. It may be really hard to forget it, forgive it. Yet, if you compare what you have done to the Lord, what I'm saying, what Jesus is saying, is that you can still forgive it because God has forgiven you of the tremendous sin that. So here's a caveat. We need to forgive each other no matter what. Yet it doesn't mean that we need to cover up the sins that we need to expose them in public. For instance, if there's any sin in our church that is considered crime in society, should we still cover it up? Should pastor tell us, hey, you just forgive this person and don't report it to the police? No, never. We just heard from news, you know, news media, Southern Baptist, Baptist Convention is in big trouble because of that. They try to forgive other people. That's good. But they didn't report it to the police, the authorities. So now they're in big trouble. So if we sin, which is considered crime in society, we want you to know with Pastor Matt here, we will report it to the police. But it doesn't mean we will not forgive the person who has sinned. Yet, that person has to bear the consequences. Just like David, although he was forgiven by God, right? Nathan said, your sins are forgiven right there when he repented. Yet, he still bore the consequences of the, his sin on earth. So this is a caveat. Please don't get, it, get me wrong that I'm, I'm saying that you have to cover it up to the point that we don't consider sin, sin. So do you remember the unforgiving people? that I talked about at the beginning of the message. Whom did they couldn't forgive? Their mom and dad. What's interesting about hurting others and being hurt by others is that so often the people who hurt us is the people, oh, well, I'm sorry, the people who hurt us the most and the people whom we hurt the most are our own family members or the people who are really close to us. So if there is anyone of you who holds a grudge against your mom, dad, spouse, or sibling, I want to encourage you to bring yourself to the message of the gospel again tonight. All you need is the gospel, your brothers and sisters. Nothing else. You don't, need to, you don't need to receive an extra revelation. Or in your dream, you, Jesus appears to you and says, hey, you need to forgive the person. You don't need those things. What you need, all you need is the gospel that God has graciously and limitlessly forgiven you, not because of your worthiness, but because of Jesus Christ. When you know this truth, what should you do about your unforgiving heart towards your family members and your friends? Of course, we know the answer. We need to forgive them. Let me end the message with an amazing story of forgiveness. On Wednesday evening, June 17, 2015, Lily and I and our one one our couple friend a friend couple were walking down uh, through the downtown Charleston, South Carolina. It was our vacation. We were there, and then a host of people were running toward us. We were panicking a little bit. And what's going on? And then they were telling us that there was a shooting at the church. Do you remember the Charleston African American church shooting? Dylan Roof, twenty-one year old at the time joined the Wednesday night Bible study of an African-American church in downtown Charleston. He sat next to the pastor of the church and acted normally during the Bible study. But when the people began to pray, he pulled out his gun and started shooting at people. The entire shooting lasted about six minutes and took nine people's lives, including the church's pastor. Later, it became known that Dylan was a white supremacist who hated African-Americans. It was a horrible crime. 
I'm sure many of you still remember that this, this tragic incident made national news and all of us, I, I believe, really mourned for the victims and their families. While the shooting itself was so shocking and surprising, more shocking and surprising news got on the air three days later at the shooter's bond hearing. Some of you might wa have watched it, might watched it before. On the day when Dylan Roof was having the bond hearing, many of the families of the victims shocked the world when they began to talk to the man who killed their loved ones for no reason in the following ways. ways. Listen, a man who lost his grandmother in that incident told him, I forgive you. My family forgives you. We would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ, so that he can change you. A woman who lost her mom said, you took something very precious from me, but I forgive you. It hurts me. You hurt a lot of people, but may God forgive you. A woman who lost her son said, we welcome to Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautifulest people I, that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts. I will never be the same. My son was my hero. But as they say in the Bible study, we enjoyed you. I forgive you. That's the easiest thing I had to do. May God have mercy on your soul. Can you imagine talking to a person who just killed your son three days ago? Later, the same lady was asked by a news reporter how she could be so kind and forgiving to the murderer of her, her son. And she answered like this, God, having the Lord in your life, that's it. That's it. Because of Christ, we are forgiven. And because of Christ, we forgive other people. How silly would it be if I cannot forgive my wife for her small mistake, when this group of people who are believers forgave the murderer of their beloved family members. How silly it would be in the eyes of God that I cannot forgive my parents who have hurt me. It might, be, it might have been really hurting. But was it as hurting as Christ suffering on the cross? God might, might ask you. So we have to take this to our heart. The message of the gospel is sufficient reason for us to forgive anyone who has hurt us, even though it was really hurt. So the title of the sermon is this, Forgiveness Begets Forgiveness. Here's, this is again, we must forgive the sins of others limitlessly because God has already forgiven our sins limitlessly. Let's pray. Christian Father,